Jesus Christ is Lord. It is him that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in him. So Holy Spirit, come, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, We've entitled this series, Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints. And so this morning, my hope is to equip us in a twofold sense of contentment and freedom. Contentment and freedom. That in those, we might be equipped to glorify God wherever we are. Amen? So in hopes of that, attune your ears or turn your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 17 through 24. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, you should avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave to Christ. Y'all were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called there, let them remain with God. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Amen. This is my rule in all the churches. A rule, you know, a 12-inch ruler can help you both draw neatly and measure accurately, if we know how to use it. A just ruler of a society can provide for the common defense, promote general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty, if the people abide the rule. And so too with Paul's rule here. In his God-given apostolic authority, Paul has established a rule to help the churches grow well. It's for their good. So what is the rule? Verse 17, only let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which the Lord has called him. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24, 
So, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, let them there remain with God. Can you see the theme? Each one of us lives one life. And that life is assigned to us, allotted to us, gifted to us by God. We may enjoy it. We may hate it. We may enjoy it or hate it sometimes. We may enjoy or hate it all the time. We may embrace it. We may try to escape it. Occasionally, always, rightly, or wrongly, and yet, we all know that that is the life that we lead. And the apostle gives us a rule. Live the life you have been given. Do not spend all your time trying to change it. Remain where you are already because already God is with you. With you. See, if we spend our lives trying to escape them and arrive at the good life where the grass is greener, where God will finally be, where we will finally be okay, we will not find it. For he is already with us. Right where we are, right where we may not want to stay. And yet if we abide there, we abide with him. That's his rule, and that should be our hope. So let's examine the context of this rule, right? The context matters. Who's Paul giving this rule to? Well, we could look at the whole chapter, chapter 7, verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, verse 10. To the married, and verse 12. To the rest, verse 17. In all the churches, verse 20. Each one, in whatever condition you have been called. So in other words, everyone, right? All those called in the Lord by faith in baptism, every saint everywhere at all times and in all conditions. That means the Corinthian church. That means ambassador church. That means me. That means you. Specifically, the overarching topic is that of marriage and sexuality. And so the conditions of life that Paul is immediately addressing here is actually our marital situations. Single, engaged, virgins, widows, divorced, married, complicated relationships, right? That's the context of the whole chapter. And these are not only relational conditions. Marriage and everything that relates to in these relational conditions is also inherently sexual and personal. And it's necessarily cultural and socioeconomic. And, depending on your class, political. Right? Who you relate to matters. And this interconnectivity of conditions around marriage incites Paul to actually pastorally address other conditions that everyone and anyone might find themselves in. That's why in the verses I read, you don't actually hear anything about marriage. Because the idea of marriage has expounded expanded so that he might expound upon things that might relate, namely our cultural and socioeconomic conditions. So that's going to be our two movements as we look at the two examples that he uses here. But before I get into this, I want to give a preface. And prefaces are important, so hear me on this, okay? 
The apostle is not being moralistic. The apostle is not being moralistic. The comparison of marital, cultural, and socioeconomic conditions is not intended to define an eternal moral stratum. Celibate over married, circumcised over uncircumcised, enfranchised over enslaved, right? None of these effect or affect one's standing before God. That is only by grace. And in fact, Paul is actually trying to unstratify these things because it is our human tendency to want to classify and class different conditions, isn't it? That one's better than that one. That way's better than this way. If you do this, you're here. If you do that, you're here, right? He's actually trying to do the opposite. While we as people might classify, God does not. While we as people might try to stratify, God does not. He is no respecter of persons. He loves whom he loves, he shuns whom he shuns, and he calls whom he calls regardless of any human judgments. He is with them wherever they are. So this is not a moralistic stratification of conditions. Okay? But here's the second important point of that preface. The apostle is not being moralistic, but he is being pragmatic. The apostle is not being moralistic, but he is being pragmatic. What do I mean by that? The comparison of marital, cultural, and socioeconomic conditions is intended as a rule to guide us pastorally in ways that will be of the greatest liberty to the Christian. Pragmatically, whether we want to think this way or not, pragmatically, celibacy is freer than marriage. Pragmatically, uncircumcision is freer than circumcision. Pragmatically, freedom is freer than slavery. These are realities, voluntarily, voluntarily or involuntarily, and these realities cause us to inhabit less freer or more freer conditions. And there can be unique joys and benefits and blessings that only come with certain conditions, but also there are unique obligations and constraints that only come with certain conditions. The freer the condition, the more undivided one's devotion to the Lord could be, as he says later in the chapter. And so it's like this. Growing taller by standing on a stool in the kitchen does not make you better. But it may, in fact, help you reach the thing that you're supposed to go get. Right? Similarly, the apostle wants to reckon with us very unromantically and realistically, pragmatically, that some conditions of life will enable you to serve the Lord with greater devotion than others. Even if God loves you all the same and intends for you to be glorified all the same. So that's the preface. 
These are not moral, sort of better or worse conditions, but they are pragmatically differentiated. So let's get into the examples of what these might be. The first one, start with verse 18. Circumcision. For each of these, oh, for each of these examples, I'm gonna kind of move through, maybe you all have heard of indicative and imperative. It's a seminary thing, right? Like what is the fact and what is the therefore? So here's what we're saying and here's what therefore should be, okay? So we're gonna look at each one of those in that way, indicative and imperative. First example is what you might call a cultural example. Verse 18, anyone at the time of his call already circumcised, anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised. So the fact is, in this congregation in Corinth, there are people who are circumcised, that is, Jews, and there are people who are uncircumcised, that is, everyone else, non-Jews, Greeks, whatever condition they might be in. Okay, um, Maybe this goes without saying, but just to be clear, the condition of one's genitals per se is not the apostle's concern. As much as it is what they signify. See, whether one is a member of the covenant of Israel, that is circumcised, or not, that is uncircumcised, that's Paul's concern. And that is very much a cultural, religious, political dimension of whether you are in or out And it should also be noted, though this might be clear, it's concerning anyone who has already been called, right? Were you already this way when you were called? He's presuming he's talking to people who are called by the Lord. Perhaps we might not realize the gravity of this claim, but like gravity, we should stop and marvel at its force. Because like gravity, we would not be here without it, right? And like gravity, we would not be here without the call of God. They would not have been there. You would not have been here. I would not be here without the call of God like gravity bringing us to himself. And what is amazing is that this gravitational force of our God, the caller, has pulled all people, circumcised or uncircumcised, to himself. This is God's new covenant people that's based in the faith of receiving the call of Jesus Christ, not the marks of circumcision. For as he says in verse 19, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's the indicative. He's called people from every place to remove these previous barriers and make a new people for himself. Well, what's the imperative? What's the therefore? Right, continuing in, with verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I don't know how one does that, but I don't want to. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. That's good too, right? We'll have something to say about keeping the commandments of God in a moment, but for now, hear this. 
is an imperative of Scripture. Do not try to belong to the right culture in order to be in God's people. God's people is not about the right culture. That is a way of the world. We all want to be in the right group. If you feel like you are in the right group, there's a tendency to lord it over other people, issuing exclusions and exams and excommunications and whatever to make sure that it's well demarcated. And if you don't, you could either fume in resentment or you could do everything in your power to try to find the in-group and fit into it. Schools, clubs, corporate meetings, even in churches, we try to fit in. And why is that? Because if we get in and we stay in, in the right group, then we have the right culture. Well, then everything will be okay, right? And yet God says, I have already come to you. Where else do you need to belong? To whom else will you go? I'm already right here with you. Let this be a tender word of welcome and grace to you wherever and whomever and however and whatever you may be right now. You do not have to go find something else. God has already called to you. Let it also be a word of warning to the church. Do we compel what is particular as regular? Do we confuse civilization with evangelization? Do we conflate our culture with the kingdom? Let us not put yokes on the backs of others that neither we nor they can bear. Let us not judge lest we be judged. Let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, humble and attentive and asking like the Apostle Peter, who can object to these being baptized when they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? The established church in the United States must listen to what God is saying to the churches, especially learn from our marginalized brothers and sisters here and abroad who have not had the luxury of presuming upon their rightness as righteousness and have rather had to rely on the righteousness of Christ in suffering because we're all called to that. The second example, he moves on from circumcision. This one's what we might call a bit more socioeconomic than cultural, though the distinction's a bit arbitrary there. What is Paul saying? Verse 21, were you a slave when called? Okay, obvious point. 
Just like circumcised, uncircumcised, there are clearly slaves in this congregation. There are clearly not slaves in this congregation. In whatever strata of socioeconomic position and relation there might be in between. Folks of various places and stations up and down the social economic ladder are present in the congregation of the saints. Haves, haves nots, entitled, indebted, noble, notorious, all of them, whatever you might want to say about it, called, intentionally called, just as they are, irrespective of who they knew or what they were, they now knew Jesus and they had eternal life. So they were called, and not only that, verse 23, y'all were bought with a price. So you're not only called, you were bought. I'll just flip the wrong way. They were bought, all of them picked out, desired, purchased, redeemed, bought with a price, the price of God's own life. What greater price could be paid to redeem something than the blood of the Redeemer? You want this? Give your life for it. And yet this is exactly what God has done. What more value would you need to have in life than the eternal God of the universe would want to give his very life to call you his own? And that is exactly what he has done. There is no positioning in this world that you would need to do to create a greater value than that which has already been done. Amen. So we are valued, not just called like a telemarketer, right? You are valued. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a slave to Christ. These are two metaphors that Paul particularly is often using. You can read them kind of in the beginning of his letters where he might call himself one called by Christ, right? made free in Christ, and yet at the same time call himself a slave to Christ. Notice that those he calls his own are his own to call what he will. Do you have everything already in this world? You are in bondage to the one who in this world had nothing and does not value any of those things. He is in heaven now and rules over everything. Do you have nothing in this world? You are now an heir with Christ who rules over all things and promises you the inheritance with him. All things are in subjection under his feet and all things then are in subjection under the feet of those he elevates with him. All things are yours you are Christ. Christ is God's to the glory of God the Father. That's he's just stating is true. So what's the therefore? Verse 21, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. 
it is pretty critical that we read those two statements together. The apostle in the scriptures is not saying that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're a slave, that some people find themselves in oppressed conditions. It does not matter to God in that your oppression is no barrier to his calling, to his adoption, to his value. In fact, as Dan Ortland pointed out with the various Puritans in the book Gentle and Lowly that many of us were reading recently, one's affliction, one's destitution, one's misery, one's disenfranchisement, one's enslavement may be the very thing that actually attracts God to you in the first place. That's why one should not be concerned about it. Because the Lord is already there with you, coming to you on purpose, glorifying you and enabling you to be a son and daughter of God wherever you might be, even in oppression. Even your oppression may be the means to your glorification. He humbled himself to be the lowest with the lowest that they might be exalted in the highest with him. So hope and trust drives out the concern. But remember that statement. But if you can gain your freedom, you should do so. See, the scriptures acknowledge, of course, that your material conditions do matter to your life. It doesn't prevent or preclude God's gracious call, but it very well may prevent or preclude all matters of other things. Even the realization, even the realization of what is true in Christ. We may not always realize what is true in Christ now until the eschaton. We may never escape poverty or addiction or our desires or abuse, or suffering in this life. Jesus didn't. He was not made king. He was not acquitted. And he was not taken down from the cross. And as we follow him, we might not be either. And he's with us there. And so the gospel truth is not conditioned on you escaping your condition, but it will transform how we engage it. As the apostle says here, the way one should engage bondage is if you can gave your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. See, freedom, materially, socioeconomically, politically, personally, is not necessary to the saint, but it is fitting. It is not necessary, but it is fitting. It befits the saints to be free just as much as it befits them to be humbled and servants of all in their freedom. 
That's how we make sense of this injunction. The condition is not necessary for God to call and to be with us. In fact, it may be the very way that God comes to us, and yet it is more fitting for the saints to be free. And so he says in verse 23, do not become bondservants of men. He says to slaves, if you can avail yourself of the opportunity, you should be free. He does not say to people who are not free, if you can avail yourself of the opportunity to be sold into bondage, you should do so. Right? He's not making them equal. He's not making them equal. See, it matters. They don't condition God's calling, but they do condition how we follow it. And what's fitting to following God may not always match up with our expectations. Because let's reckon with it. It is more fitting to follow God in freedom than in bondage. The scriptures also say it's more fitting to follow God in poverty than in riches. How difficult it will be for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's more fitting to follow God in celibacy than in marriage. It's more fitting to follow God without the yoke of the law than under it. And some of these are surprising injunctions. We have to reckon with them. Even as God is saying, just as you are, you will glorify the Father as you follow me. But some of us should not be surprised if we find it more difficult than others. And if we reckon with it, God intends to give us hope and power in his spirit. And if we reckon with it, we may not only stop putting up hypocritical stumbling blocks before ourselves and others by expecting people to attain certain conditions like wealth, health, and comfort that Jesus actually promises will make our discipleship more difficult. Or even worse, we may expect others to stay down while we stay up because, well, they shouldn't be concerned about it anyway. That's some wickedness. If we reckon with it, we may actually mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, joyfully joining our brothers and sisters who call out for justice and righteousness to reign and reign down, all the while joyfully disregarding whatever affliction or destitution may come from the world as it throws it at us. Because we know it doesn't matter. The world can destroy the body, but the Lord will raise it up. Amen? So let me conclude here. What did Paul tell us the rule is? These things do not matter, but keeping the commandments of God. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two rest the law and the prophets. And how do we love God and neighbor? Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And his commandment is this, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God whom he sent, and by believing would have life in his name. We are called to have life in his name. Verse 24. So, brothers and sisters, then whatever condition each was called, let them there remain with God. Do you hear how he ends that? Remain with God. Are you married? Believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that you may have life in his name as a spouse. Are you not married? Believe in Jesus Christ, that you may have life in his name as unmarried. Are you in some sort of relationship that's confusing or that maybe you should not be in? Believe now in Jesus Christ as Lord and have life in his name in the midst of that confusion of relationship. Christ will direct you, starting with where you are. Are you white or black or brown or something? Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord that you may have life in his name as white or black or brown or something. Are you some mixed ethnicity or out of place in a new culture? Believe now in Jesus Christ as Lord and have life in his name while still being mixed up. You're not alone. He's with you. Are you male? Are you female? Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and have life in his name as a male, as a female. Some of you are confused about your gender. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and you will have life in his name even as you are still confused. He will direct you. His light will lead us wherever we are. I could go on and on with examples, but let's end with the old adage. God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the called. If the Spirit is even giving the slightest twitch of yearning in your heart right now, he is calling to you to tell you he is with you now. You are called by God to live with God right now, right as you are. Don't worry about getting it right at first. Start where you are. Start in the way right as you are. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one's going to get to God without him. And he's come to you that you might be with him. To remain with him, to abide with Christ, is necessarily to walk. He may never lead you out of your earthly condition, but he will lead you through it. He is the good shepherd. Even though you may walk even through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil, for he is with you. 
And so that's why we can count it all joy. We can count it all joy, brothers and sisters, that God is with us to equip us right where we are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Guide and direct us, Lord Jesus, always and everywhere with your holy light, that we may discern with clear vision your presence among us and partake with worthy intention of your divine mysteries. And so now be present, Lord, be present as our great high priest, as you were present with your disciples, and be known to us in the breaking of bread. We ask this for your sake and ours, for your glory and for our joy. Amen.